And good morning. I'm Alicia Bales. I'm live in the Talmadge studio over here in the Inland Empire here, the Inland Valley, with Marvin Trotter. Good morning, Marvin. Good morning, Alicia. We're getting ready for Mind Body Health. It's going to be a fascinating show. Um, but first, let's give some updates on our on-air building fundraising drive. We are Oh, we are doing so well. The current amount raised as of this moment is $125,627. Yeah, that is amazing, everybody. Amazing. Um, we, our total goal is 150000 and we're, uh, we're closing in on it. It's phenomenal. We are raising money for our new building in Ukiah. It's going to be a big change. And Marvin, you were just telling me that ever since you've been involved at KZYX, this has been the plan. I've heard about this. <laughs> The trees have been growing, uh, getting in the way of our, our line of sight signal, and we have been needing to do this, but it is a really big deal. It is a big deal, but it'll be wonderful. It's exciting, very exciting, and we have an exciting show. Um, I'm very happy to uh, have Shannon Todd with me today. She's a nurse practitioner at the hospital, and today you're going to get educated on what a nurse practitioner is and what a hospitalist is. So good morning, Shannon. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And so tell us how you got to Mendocino. Yes, well, our family um, just moved here in July. Uh, we've been here almost a year now, but I have a long history with Ukiah. I went to high school here and moved here when I was a freshman and graduated high school, went to college, uh, got married here, and uh, moved away in 2005. So uh, we've been gone about, I don't know, 17 years, and now we're back. I uh, actually got my nursing career started here back when it was Ukiah Valley Medical Center and worked here for about five years as a brand new new grad many, many years ago, back in the year 2000. I've been a nurse for about 23 years now, 22 years. Um, so it's really good to be to be back here with our, our extended family and my family. And yeah, so it's great to be back. And I've worked with her mother for decades. Mm -hmm. So she had nursing genes. Uh, <laughs> Very <inherited>. strong. <laughs> so let's start with what is a family nurse practitioner? What's an FMP? Define yeah, that. Sure. So a nurse <clears throat> practitioner is a nurse that is, has a bachelor's degree and that has gone back for further education. And the education is um, usually about two years long. Um, they come out with a master's degree and a nurse practitioner. And you can specialize in different types of being a nurse practitioner. So, uh, for example, I'm a family nurse practitioner. I am certified to treat, I have a license to treat um, pediatrics all the way through to uh, elderly geriatrics, and there's uh, acute nurse practitioner that works in acute care setting, there are psychiatric nurse practitioners, lots of different kinds. So um, yeah, I went back to school after well, being a nurse for 17 years, and it usually they when you go back to grad school, they like a couple years of experience, but I was a nurse for a long time before I went back. Yeah. So I think it's uh, the public should also know how great of a nursing program there is at Mendocino College. Absolutely. It's really mm -hmm. gone off the charts. Almost everybody graduates, passes the national exam. There's mm -hmm. lots of applicants. It's a great program. They work all over. And it's a, it's a huge asset to our community. In fact, Becca was telling me the other day they were hoping to hire four new grads for the ER. That's wonderful. We have, uh, yeah, four new nurses on the floor now from Mendocino, and they're phenomenal. So, yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, tell us what a hospitalist is. Sure. Um, well, going back to what a nurse practitioner is, okay, um, yes, I, I, I didn't finish. <laughs> okay. um, so, a nurse practitioner uh, is a, a clinician, an advanced practice clinician. We also call them APCs. You might hear that term also. Um, we can assess patients. We can write orders. We can interpret diagnostics. We can interpret lab tests. Um, we diagnose diseases. We formulate and prescribe treatment plans. Uh, there's lots, lots of, of that that we can we can do for our patients, um, and so that's that's what basically what a nurse practitioner. So you could, they are in primary care. They see patients on a daily basis. Essentially, a family nurse practitioner is an MD, and I know that that you know I'm supposed to say, well, I'm a doctor and you're a nurse practitioner, yeah. but on a clinical day to day basis, uh, the FMPs and PAs are doing. Uh, exactly the same thing as I would as a hospitalist or I would as a clinician in the office? Yes. Um, I'm very careful when that question comes up, are you a doctor? I say, no, I'm not a doctor. I'm a nurse practitioner. And then I explain, but we do a lot of the same things. Right. I, um, I'm i very proud of the doctors I work with at the hospital, and we can talk more about that later, but I, I really feel it's a team aspect. We collaborate. We talk. I depend on our doctors a lot for 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 knowledge for um, just support we all work together to create wellness and healing in our community and it definitely is a collaborative effort between all of us um, I remember Dale Morrison telling me that I was three-fourths of a cardiologist um, <laughs> that I did a lot of hypertension heart disease and mm -hmm. you know CHF or whatever um, but like a, uh, just like you say, but I would call or send patients to Dale that I didn't, you know, know what was going on. And I think the uh, APCs at the hospital are doing the same thing. In fact, I've always thought that Lil Basner did a better job at the hospital. <laughs> Lil's than, pretty good. Than, uh, that I did. <laughs> I've learned a lot from Lil. <laughs> yes. So a hospitalist. So my job as a nurse practitioner, I've worked. Um, I've been nurse practitioner for about almost five years now. Um, I was a bariatric nurse pra practitioner for three years, working with morbid obesity and weight loss, and that was really interesting back in Santa Rosa, et cetera. And um, recently took the job as a hospitalist here. And how I how I wanted to be a hospitalist is during COVID pandemic. Our offices shut down at Sutter, and they pulled three of our nurse practitioners, um, two other and and myself, and we went to Sutter Santa Rosa Regional Hospital, and we were trained quickly trained to be hospitalists in case of a surge, and um, in case the fact they needed us to be hospitalists. And so, when I was in that intense training, I fell in love with the job, and I said, "This is what I want to do." And so I went back to my normal job down there, kept working. And then this opportunity came back to move closer to family, um, and the hospitalist position was open at, at Ukiah, and I said, that's really, that's my dream job. And you've been the dream um, candidate. You know, one <laughs> thing I'd like to point out is that, um, or tell them about the COVID unit, because I don't mm -hmm. think people realize that you risked your lives for two years with the COVID unit. Mm -hmm. That's a very, it was a very intense time. Now, I came halfway through. Um, there were many practice clinicians and doctors that went through the whole uh, COVID unit at Ukiah. Um, but basically, uh, we, had, we had to open a whole new unit for all of our COVID patients, and it was an incredibly intense time for our hospital. The last two years have been very intense on all the health care workers, 
uh, everywhere. And it was especially challenging for all of us too. Uh, these patients are very, we're very sick. Um, now we don't, we're past, we're past that point, thank goodness right now. Uh, but last July and the year before, we had a lot of sick patients, a lot of intubated patients in the ICU, and um, we had to dress in full pr protective gear every time we'd go into a room. Uh, there was fear. There was a lot of uh, discussion and a lot of emotional trauma, too. It was a trying time. Yes, if anybody wants to take care of a six, six uh, intubated on a ventilator COVID patients in the ICU, dressed head to toe. Mm -hmm. And I think that the ICU nurses that were in there uh, that did everything for the patient uh, were also um, a phenomenal, difficult, difficult time. Mm -hmm. So tell us, um, you're a hospitalist mm -hmm. and someone comes in the emergency room. Yep. What happens? So a hospitalist is a nurse practitioner that specializes in acute care, taking care of patients in the hospital. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Trotter, but a long time ago, their hospitalists didn't exist. I think that was a term that st started in the 1990s, if I'm, if I'm correct. Um, would the primary care come visit their patients in the hospital when they were sick? Yes, you were a doctor first, during that time, so tell me. Yeah, the first five years I was in Ukiah from starting in 86, I was an internal medicine doctor and had an office. Um, and when your patient got ill, mm -hmm. uh, you took care of them in the hospital. Right. The last year I was an internist, I went to the hospital 320 days because between Dr. Newkirk and I, mm -hmm. we always had somebody in the hospital. And if you want to have a fun life, going to the hospital 320 <laughs> days a year is not... How you do it? Plus your normal clinic, <clears throat> clinic hours and your normal patient load and right. all of that you yeah. have to do. So, yeah. so the hospital started by that was too much for everybody, and mm -hmm. I don't know where it started, but then you had a split. You either had a private office and saw patients, or you saw patients in the hospital. Some people carried on and did both for a while, like Dr. Corin, but soon the medical world split into these two mm -hmm. parts <clears throat> so hospitalist is either a doctor a pa which is a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner and they are the provider for that patient while they were in while they are in the hospital so if you have shortness of breath or you're not feeling well and you come to the emergency room you will have a lot of tests and diagnostics done they will take a chest x-ray they will take draw your blood um, take your vital signs and if they if the emergency physician feels that you warrant a stay in the hospital, you'll have a hospitalist come visit you in the emergency room, and they will do a whole history and physical and admit you, write orders, and admit you to the hospital where on a daily basis you will be seen by hospitalists and taken care of um, by either an advanced practice clinician or an MD. And when people ask me what I do, this is kind of a, a funny way to say it, but I'm basically an air traffic controller. <laughs> there are lots of airplanes taking off, lots of airplanes in the air, and lots landing. And I am a coordinator of care for all of these details, all the specialists. I coordinate the entire care for that patient for that day. And I'll have up to 10 patients. So it is very exciting. It is very challenging. And it's exhausting, those three. That's how I would describe my job. <laughs> and so, you know, when I was doing hospitals, ICU, somebody might be admitted to the hospital. Maybe they are admitted to the ICU. They're taking care of an ICU, but then they're discharged to the medical surgical floor. And nine times out of ten, eight times out of ten, 
the APC would take care of the patient until discharge. So um, the MD and the ICU may get you past this critical portion, but then your medical care for this several days or whatever is necessary until you're discharged is taken care of by the APC. And I think the air traffic controller, I've never heard of that. Mm -hmm. But when you start talking about all the discharge case management issues that mm -hmm. each patient has, especially if they have multiple problems or homeless, it's a it's it's as difficult a job as the medical part. It's very challenging. Uh, we have because every patient is different, every family situation is different, every uh, just there's there's so much that goes into caring for a patient in the hospital, from deciding, looking at their labs for the day, their diagnostics, um, treatment plan, which direction are we going. And the ultimate goal when a patient gets admitted to the hospital is how are we going to safely discharge them back home, back to their quality of life. And there's a lot that happens during their time in the hospital with family members and all the dynamics. And so it really takes a lot of coordination and a lot of collaboration between all of us to get that patient safely discharged, either back home or to a facility that can best take care of them. Yeah, and we had Angela here from Case Management, and they do a phenomenal job. So now it's time to make me feel good. It is time. <laughs> make me feel good about coming here every two weeks for my entire life. Uh, we and, feel good about it, Marvin. And call in a donation for the new KZOX house in Ukiah. Yes, it's a barn raising, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> this is uh, Alicia Bales here on the controls. It's Mind Body Health with Dr. Marvin Trotter. Uh, and Marvin comes here every other week, like you're saying, to keep us up to date about local health care issues, giving you direct access to local health care providers. You can call in and ask your questions, and you cover a different health care topic every show. Yep. How do you? I'm ADD. <laughs> how do you decide? <laughs> we should, we haven't covered that topic yet. No, we haven't. That would be a good topic. Uh, actually, I went to some meeting with Terry Bedreau in the hospital for uh, continuing medical education, and they gave me several ideas to do for shows. But I do think that it's um, KZYX does an an unusual uh, job at providing a lot of different aspects to the community. I mean. Um, it's not your playing music and doing commercial show, is it, Al? Is it, Alicia? No. No, it isn't. We do try to um, have lots and lots of windows into the experience of living here and what you need access to. I mean, there's the reality is is that not just Mendocino, but our entire country has a very decrepit healthcare system, and a lot of people who don't have means can't access it. So I think of KZYX and the healthcare programming that we do, your show and of course the covid show is is sort of making that making healthcare more accessible to all of the people in the community i mean i've learned so much about what the health how the healthcare system is structured and how you can access it and stuff about medical and stuff about covered california stuff that i absolutely didn't know and is essential to just living a a quality of life you know so i think in that way this is an essential service to to our community and our listeners just kind of de deconstructing it decoding it so that just people who need health care can figure out how to get it and hopefully learn something about your own health i want to go back a little bit to your education because sure. i'm shocked at how many nurses have left oh, health care health care in yeah. the last two years yeah. i mean uh 
I was told a few months ago there was 36 RN positions available at the hospital. Yes. I remember when it was a time when there was four or five. Yes. Correct? Yes. So, and you can make over $100,000 a year doing this. You get paid very well. And um, I just wish more people would, would think about nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, tell them exactly. Okay, so... What does it take to get your bachelor's and mm-hmm. to become a bachelor's well, RN? I had a very good example, obviously, through my mom. She's been a nurse for 52 years. And watching her throughout my life balance family life and have a career, uh, that's what convinced me that even when I really didn't understand fully what nursing was as a young child into my teenage years, um, I watched that example through my life. And when I got into college, I was actually going to be a teacher. And... Um, after two years of college, realizing that I really wanted to be a nurse like my mom. And so I left the college I was at, went to nursing school, and uh, graduated with a BSN in 1999. And so I had a Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. Um, so, yes, going back to your the reason healthcare is struggling a little bit right now is, yes, nurses have left because their their last two years have been very difficult. It's There's been a lot of... Uh, burnout and they're exhausted. So, so education. So, for it's about four years of four and a half years of college, uh, graduating with a bachelor's of science in nursing, and then you sit for the NCLEX and you pass that, get nationally certified, and then you can get hired on. And yes, there are many open positions at at Ukiah. We would love to have you. So it's so, a wonderful profession. So I saw a friend in the gym the, the, uh, yesterday, and I'm forgetting his name. He was an ER nurse for quite a while, mm-hmm. and he quit that after six or seven years. Is now in the operating room, mm. you know, being yeah. an RN. And I think that's one of the cool things that you're not a cardiologist in your rest of your life, right? The, the the beauty of nursing, and I my, so my daughter is going to nursing school. She starts in the fall. I have another daughter that's an EMT that is also going into nursing. She's starting her classes. So I'm proud to say I've carried on. My family has carried on the tradition of nursing. Um, but the beauty of nursing, and I tell most young people this that are thinking of going into the the profession is it's a very narrow door you have to walk in. There's prerequisites. There's, It's a lot of hard work. It's a bit of a gauntlet for a couple years. But once you graduate, once you're certified, your world opens up to so many different parts of nursing. You can be, if you if you like the fast-paced uh, emergency room. I've done. I did that for about two and a half years. I've worked in ICU. Uh, that's a very meticulous nurse. That's a perfectionist type of personality. Um, there are surgical nurses that like to get up in the middle of the night. That is not me. <laughs> and, and be at the hospital in six minutes for a case. Um, there are med surge nurses. I, I also did med surge nursing for over 12 years. And that is, you have to be extremely time efficient. Um, and be able to multitask very well. Uh, so there's there's many many there's I really wanted to be a flight nurse uh, on on the um, helicopter. That was something that was a dream of mine. But I had four kids in six years, and that was not attainable. <laughs> wow! I have four I, kids in six years. They're all older children. now. Wow! Yep. That's impressive. Yes. So tell us about your training as an FMP because I think that is. Um, when I look at it, it's like medical school in two years instead of four years. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very intense time, too. Yes, so um, when we, we moved to Hawaii in 2015, and my husband and I helped start an international boarding school. I helped the health department get started there. 
and my husband was the dean of students, husband Steve. Um, so I had a, a little bit of time on my hands, which is amazing, even having four kids. Um, but I always had a dream of being a nurse practitioner, and I'm a very goal-oriented person, and I still have my journal where I wrote, I'd like to be an FMP by 25 years old. Well, like I said before, I had four kids in six years. That was not happening. I put that dream on hold till probably the kids were out of college. But I had this opportunity when we moved to Hawaii to go back to school. And um, the interesting thing about nurse practitioner school is you they have a lot of hybrid programs. So I actually lived in Hawaii and went to school in Boston. So there was a five to six hour time difference and I attended classes every day. I had to be on time, but it was on like Zoom. This is Zoom before Zoom actually became a thing uh -huh. um, through COVID. And I went to school for about 22 months every day and it was extremely intense. It was full time. And then I graduated with my master's degree, family nurse practitioner. So it's about two years, depending on what program you attend. And there's lots of options for working individuals, for people who have to work through, um, who are RNs, who are working. They, you can go to school at night. You can go to school in the morning. Lots of different options. So, And then you, yeah. once you become an APC, mm -hmm. advanced practitioner, um, you also have a variety of things you can do. It's amazing how many different mm -hmm. uh, things FMPs are doing. Essentially, almost anything that that an MD does. And I think mm -hmm. that uh, people may not realize that certainly within 10 years, um, I think family practice, primary care, all of that is going to be FMPs. Yeah, I see a lot of primary care FMPs that are, are doing a very good job. That wasn't a field I went in specifically to, but um, there are a lot of good nurse practitioners that you can go see, and they can be your doctor, per se, and they can do the same thing that a, a doctor would in the, in the clinic. So I'll tell you that I think that the interesting thing about nursing is that nurses actually seem to be more compassionate <laughs> and 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 real, or I don't know quite how to say this. Um, you know, um, somebody may be a great neurologist, but I don't know that they you, that you'd want to discuss your family problems or your or your health concerns with them. Does that? I, I think don't that know comes, quite how to say that. I mean, there are a lot of compassionate doctors too. I work with so many. Most all of the doctors I work with at Adventist Healthy Kai Valley are just amazing. I could name them all by name, and I I yeah, love sure, you all. Sure, sure. Go ahead. But, <laughs> but I really. I really feel like that comes from the years spent at the bedside. When you're, in, when you're a registered nurse, you're working on the floor, you're with a patient at their most vulnerable time. And there is so much healing that takes place in the room, and it's not just medical. There's a lot of discussion, a lot of family issues, and it's a lot of hard work at the bedside. So I think that compassion is developed over a lot of hard nights and a lot of hard days where you you are empathetic with the patient. You're sympathetic and empathetic, and I feel like that just comes from years of being right there all day long at the bedside with the patient. And uh, again, don't get me wrong, doctors are also very compassionate, but I think there's a lot of experience there that comes from... The less, least compassionate ones go to the emergency room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is where I worked. You know, okay. Your leg is fixed now. Go, <laughs> Goodbye. Go see, go see the FMP. <laughs> yeah, the ER. I did two years of that. That was in very intense, very fun, and very fast-paced. And um, you kind of yes, get a little 
Jaded yeah, is the right word, but. but <laughs> um, but I do think that there is so much more to being a primary care provider mm -hmm. than picking out the right uh, blood pressure medicine or diabetic medicine. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, um, my daughter's has a, her PhD in psychology, and I think that there's a lot of psychology and therapy or one-on-one -on -one or something that patients desperately need. Um, and I, I was always a little uncomfortable about that as an internist in the office. I was there to take care of, you know, I was beaten in, you know, into a box for four years about mm -hmm. how to take care of, you know, a variety of things in internal medicine. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing to me how often the patient really was there for social reasons. Or, Absolutely. Or, and I would say that's mo more important now than it ever has been. I, I feel the mental... Um, mental illness and mental health have really risen to the surface with the last two years that we've all been through in with covid and i really feel um i feel that's true that we we really need to be supporting that a lot can be taken care of just emotionally being there for your patients and and their mental health too so yeah okay well i think it's almost time to that went fast <laughs> Well, it, we're only halfway through. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that, we that could talk fast, a lot more. Not that fast. It's a great show, you guys. Uh, but we're going to take a, a quick break to remind people that we are in our fundraising drive for our new building. This is the Pledge Drive edition of Mind Body Health. And we are broadcasting from Ukiah right now. We're in the satellite studio in Talmadge, which as soon as we opened it in August of 2020, mm, I think that's right. Yep, it hasn't been very long, but started to be very well used like people come in here to do their shows it's almost like how did we survive before we had the satellite studio in ukiah because so many programmers do live in in this in this area and have been making that drive to philo uh to do their programs for 32 years or 30 years at that point so uh, we know that the, that this move to ukiah that we're working on for our main studio um is going to be a game changer for the for the station just in terms of how many more people will have access to our to our main studios and be able to come in and become radio show hosts if they want to or come in and, and be guests and so we're here to ask for your help for your involvement here in this transition that kzyx is going through to contribute to our building fund you want to tell them how to do it marvin yes call and all the medical people that are listening to shannon talk about being an fmp should be calling and contributing say, to yeah. the guys show. that Let's is go. way more than you can make as a <laughs> in a public radio career i'll tell you we would right. love to hear from the medical folks right. especially you've had just an incredible uh, group of folks come on the show and you know be guests so we've heard from almost all of the family residency oh yeah uh, participants of the doctors who are training here and in right. fact i even called and switched over to one of the residents as my primary care doctor <laughs> after i heard your show with her and i love her she is fabulous and that's something else that we should talk about that a couple three years ago we started the yes family, family residency, residency. Program. what an amazing program this is everyone i am so impressed with the doctors we have in our residency program they are wonderful they are learning they are smart and especially uh, the the lead doctors who are heading that up dr parangal dr martin dr gilmore they are amazing leaders examples and it has really enhanced our hospital too it's become a learning institution where it's always been a collaborative place but now they're 
is, is so much more learning that happens with these wonderful residents that are making mistakes and growing and changing and you see them in their first year and then you see them graduate well i haven't seen a graduating class yet this is my first year i get to see a graduating class but by third year they are fully ready for their next mission whatever that may be and the fact that we have the family residency program here was an enormous effort by a lot of people and um personally i think it's um crucial to have the residency program if Northern California is going to have primary care doctors. Um, only, only a minority of people are going into primary care because you make so much more money as dermatologists. So what do you want? Do you want a pri primary care physician that knows you mm -hmm. or do you want a dermatologist? Mm -hmm. um, nothing against dermatology, but I'm just saying that uh, the huge number of people need primary care doctors, and it is a challenging thing being a primary care doctor, as I've done that. Um, I also want to throw out a little thing that Lil Basner, Rebecca Hens, and Lynn Meadows started working with me in the ER in 1992 when I had real problems with all these people that were female. And... They had all these female problems, and <laughs> I did not have an internal medicine background, you know, background for that. So Lynn Meadows started working in the ER, and next thing, everybody wanted the FMPs and PAs to work in the ER. And then uh, in 2008, for some reason, Lil wanted to leave the ER and go start on the hospitals program. Good thing she did. <laughs> we love Lil. And she's been there since 2008. So I, ju I just, I don't know if the community understands how crucial, important, uh, and um, that the advanced practitioners have been in the success of the ER and the hospital in caring for our local population. Mm -hmm. So now you can start calling Lil and tell us a question that you want answered. One thing I don't think we mentioned, too, is what's a PA. A lot of okay. people don't understand okay, what a true. PA is. So a physician okay. assistant is they are not a nurse. They don't have a nursing background. They don't have a nursing degree. But they go to school um, for extensive training. And they they are very comparable and compatible with a nurse practitioner. Right. So it's a, it's a, a, a different path to mm -hmm. similar jobs. Yes. Um, Marvin, you have a phone call. Do you want to take it? Sure. Okay. Oh, sure. I didn't notice the blinking light. <laughs> Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hello. Hi, so, hello. Go ahead. Uh, so, I just have one question. Can a person uh, be in and out of the ER or in and out of the hospital for a shorter or longer stay and never actually see an MD, um, a real doctor. Is that possible? How often does that happen? Thank okay. Um, in the in the ER, yes, it's possible. Mm -hmm. Not if you're having a code blue or you need to be intubated. Mm -hmm. But the nurse practitioners in the emergency department and PAs do see people in the and and not see an MD. So usually the emergency rooms have two different tracks. Uh, the first one, you would be triaged when you when you arrived, and they would take your vital signs and how uh, how sick are you. Um, if it's minor things like stitches or 
a cold, flu, ear infection, things that you would maybe even go to an urgent care for, you would be into, or you would be sent into the um, rapid care area and maybe be seen by a nurse practitioner there. So yes, you could go to the emergency room and not actually see an MD, depending on what your chief complaint was and what was going on. But if you come into the hospital, the MD admits you to the hospital, another MD accepts you as a hospitalist patient. Mm -hmm. Once you're in the hospital, 80% of it could be done by an FNP, and you would see the doctor, but the FNP is really taking care of you for the most part. I will tell you that one story as they, I was trying to stitch up the head of a Downs patient that was 30 years old that was fighting me ferociously, and I was trying to care for them and stitch up their scalp. Emily Fry, who's a nurse practitioner, um, you know, came up to me and started talking about this elderly woman that she thought had ascending cholangitis of her biliary tract and was wondering which would be the best antibiotic to put her on. When I realized that, you know, I think I don't think this is just stitches and uh, ear infections that the uh, <laughs> FMPs are seeing. So really. Um, the FMPs and the ERC, a lot of stuff is just what their comfort level is. Mm -hmm. I wonder about working in the ER. Like, you're talking about people wanting to go into nursing and it being a great career, but I think about stuff like blood. Yes. <laughs> that I really am not well, that comfortable I, seeing. <laughs> I was terrified when I first started nursing. And my mom was an ER nurse for 20 years with you, Dr. Trotter. And I would just be amazed at her stories. You just We always say as, nurse, as nurses and doctors, you can't make this stuff up. The stories we hear and what we see, it is unbelievable sometimes. Um, but yes, I felt the same way. And I think it's really different when you're caring for that patient. You have a job to do, you focus, you do it, and you do it as well as you can. So, yes, there's still... That makes sense. Yes. Being a mom and seeing some super gross yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think mom's super gross stuff is Nothing quite surprises the same. me anymore. Nothing surprises uh, me. <laughs> and I don't have a very good sense of smell, and that also that helps, helps me in the ER. Yeah. Helpful attribute. The masks actually help now with that. <laughs> and a mint. And a mint. <laughs> Um, so what have been your biggest challenges as far as being a hospitalist? What do you think the difficult okay. parts, or let's say the good parts and the difficult parts? What's the good parts of being a hospitalist? Uh, the good parts are it is, it is different every day. It is ever-changing, ever-evolving, and every patient's different. So that's, it's, again, very challenging, but um, very exciting that way. That's why I really love working with the families. I love working with the patients. I love being at the bedside still. Um, so those are the, the good parts of it. It's very rewarding. It can be devastating and um, hard. But I would say that, well, the biggest challenge for me is I came on, I'm still the new girl on the block. I'm here about a year and I'm a new hospitalist. And so I guess I'm not new anymore. I've been here every year, but it was a very uh, intense learning curve for me coming from a specialty into a huge, broad range of medicine. So I had to uh, I had to rely a lot on my colleagues and learn as, as quick as I could, as fast as I could, um, do a lot of studying. And I still medicine is always changing. So even I'm sure you, Dr. Trotter, constantly 
researching and learning new things even at how old did you say you were can i say your age <laughs> 70 <laughs> so uh, medicine there's never you know it's always changing but that's been the biggest challenge for me as as a hospitalist and then there are days where it is so so busy because you're holding about 75 balls in the air at one time and if one drops it could be we just a lot to do there's a lot to do each day so you're exhausted and and um there's just a lot of have i said that enough <laughs> No. But no. yeah, that's the it biggest just, challenge of a It just warms my heart when I think back to, <laughs> you know, that Roger Chetland made me do hospitalist ICU and the ER in the same month, you know, where ever the we were we were needed, we would go back and forth and it made me crazy. And there's I, a there's a lot I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um there's a lot that weighs on your shoulders as a hospitalist too. I have to learn to shut whether it the off patient at lives night. or dies. Yes, is that sort of, does yeah, that get to you? It at does. Night? It really does, and I hope it always does because that keeps me sharp and on my toes. That I, I really, I care so much, and I worry, and I go home wondering if I made the right decision, and and um, and then feeling confident that I made the right decision, and still things can not go quite right, and so there's. There's a I wouldn't call it a burden, but it's a it's a weight that constantly stays with you on we have we make a lot of decisions through the day and we want so much for our patients to um, be be safe and heal and and there's just a lot that weighs on yes. on my heart. Yes, and for people to realize that the hospital admits about twenty five hundred people a year. Mm -hmm. So her ten patients uh, the next week, none of them are there. Nope. There's a premium on getting patients out of the hospital. If you look at Mendocino County, the average for um, the United States of America, there's 3.3 beds per 1,000 people. 3.3 beds per 1,000 people in the United States. Mm -hmm. Some states has, have as many as 5 beds per 1,000 people. Mendocino County has 1.1 bed per 1,000 people. And two of the hospitals... Howard and you know the coast are critical care access hospitals, and they're only 25 bed hospitals. So you essentially have 100 hospital beds for 100,000 people in Mendocino County. And so every day that Shannon comes to work, it's who can you discharge because there's somebody in the ER that's waiting. sick. Mm -hmm. That's and, waiting in there for the next bed. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and also I work for utilization management. Um, so the other thing that Shannon loves is when I call her up and say, <laughs> I have somebody that had head trauma that went to Santa Rosa Memorial for their trauma. Well, now they need to come back to you know Ukiah to get further care. And so it's not just the ER, but repatriating people from different mm -hmm. hospitals that's uh, crucial and if you only have a third of the beds that most people have you can imagine that the pressure that is on them on a daily basis not just caring for the patients and because of that turnover also you have that the patients in the hospital are a lot more acute and a lot more sick and we it's not like you are in the hospital healing from pneumonia for two to three weeks anymore it's days and then you're discharged on antibiotics with good follow-up care we make sure all of our patients have really set appointments follow-up care we take that very seriously at our hospital uh, but they are very sick while they're there and so they're Again, um, the change in, in healthcare is. So, why don't you describe what ten patients in the hospital are, or what your last shift was like? Oh, who, you know, so people. Well, my will... last shift, I came home and stared at the wall for half an hour. That's a... <laughs> it was very busy. Sounds um, like my last yeah, yeah. shift. <laughs> 
Steve said, do you want the red one or the blue one? I said, I, I don't know. I can't even, I don't have no idea. <laughs> don't ask me what's for dinner. Um, yep. So when I come in shift in the morning, we have yeah, what's uh, a sure, normal, a normal day, day when you start out at yep. 7 a.m. We meet with a night physician and, and look at all of our admissions and we divvy, divvy everybody up. We have the residents sitting there. We have our head ICU doc. We have the two nurse practitioners and then the night physician and we, um, hear report, we divvy up our patients, and then then it becomes a very intense time uh, for my NP and I, and we study all of our 10 patients and all of our, um, all the diagnosis, we look at all the labs for the morning for every single patient, all of the tests done the day before, and we formulate treatment plans and what our end game is for that patient, what that plan looks like for each patient for that day. And then we go visit everybody and we see all, I try and see all 10 before lunch. Sometimes that does not happen. Um, but we go actually assess the patient. We do a full head to toe assessment. I usually talk to them about the goals of care for the day, goals of care for the hospitalization, where they are, their results, their lab tests. We discuss, we talk to the family. And then I start my charting. And that's another hours long um, where we update the notes so that any specialty any physician can look at our chart and know exactly what's going on and where exactly where we're at with that patient at that point we also collaborate a lot with our specialists we have gi we have neurology we have nephrology we have many many specialists that from the nurse practitioner or from the provider for that day we have to initiate all of those specialists too so when i said air traffic controller that's what i mean there's a lot of pilots we have to involve in this whole thing and so there's a lot of um a lot of collaboration too that happens with all the specialists and what the plan is i want to go back to talking about the morning uh, shift i always i would do the night shift often and roger would come in and say some disparaging thing to me <laughs> um about you know whatever had happened during the night and then what i was laughing at is then then you have to divvy up the patients and some of the patients are nice Miss Smith who has pneumonia and is doing well, and the other patients may not be quite Miss Smith and have 16 medical problems. Yes. And so there's a lot of mano a mano going on as to who is. There is. You can always see this delightful 82 year old. Oh, I'll take that one. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but there are a lot of challenging patients, too, absolutely. And I think that the. Um, um, but what I'm, I was trying to get at is that you may have two people with pneumonia. You may have two people that were in septic shock from urinary tract infections. You may mm -hmm. have somebody that had a heart attack and that they're trying to get associated. Someone that has um, a small bowel obstruction versus uh, somebody that has an infection of their leg that mm -hmm. you want to throw up mm -hmm. <laughs> every time mm -hmm. you look at their leg infection mm -hmm. uh, or have had a stroke. It is truly remarkable the breadth and challenges on a daily basis that a hospitalist mm -hmm. has just for those reasons because mm -hmm. you don't know. The other thing that the hospitals get to do is a lot of post-ops. So the mm -hmm. surgeons love to go do surgery and then call up the Us. hospitalist. <laughs> Say, could you do the rest, please? Sure. <laughs> so. so they got through their surgery, but the rest of their hot five hospital yep, day stay. Yep, belong to us. And uh, yeah, so we'll see a lot of post-op patients, a lot of hips, a lot of knees. We have an amazing ortho team uh, up at Howard, uh, Dr. Charpentier, Dr. Bowen. And um, so yeah, we'll see a lot of those patients, a lot of GI, gallbladders, removal, things like that. So we'll take care of them and 
um, recover them. And they're usually in the hospital for three to five days, sometimes after surgery, depending on how, how they're doing. And so we discharge, we make the, we create the discharge plan for them, follow up, all of that. But yes, you're right. We could see in my 10 patients, I could have everything you just mentioned plus more. Plus more. And so as a hospitalist, I have to have certain patterns in my head, certain algorithms. So when I have a CHF, a congestive heart failure patient, um, I know my main goal with that patient is for them to have adequate diuresis, meaning getting all that extra fluid off so they can breathe again and they have less swelling in their legs. And so there's a lot of um, patterns that I create in my, in my head every day that I, a certain checkoff list that I have to make sure that those particular things are happening to, to get them home or wherever they're going. So it's so wide and so, so there's lots of different diagnoses you could, that we have in the hospital and I could have all of them in one day. So I'm going to give her a patient and see how she responds Oh no, Dr. To Dr. Trotter. <laughs> so this 52 year old woman uh, weighs 300 pounds. She's an insulin dependent diabetic. She's bipolar. She uses methamphetamines, and she comes in in septic shock from her urinary tract infection that's moved up from her bladder to her kidneys, and um, she's having withdrawal symptoms from her alcohol, and she doesn't like you. <laughs> so the first thing I would do is just go talk to her. <laughs> You're laughing right now. <laughs> I'm wondering how how common is this your average? Oh, totally, really? oh, totally. Oh, yes, yes. Um, it's a different. Yeah, life. I would you, go talk. I would you, make friends first. I would you, go make okay. a friend. <laughs> you do not make it into the hospital if all you have is some. I mean, oh, you only have a small pneumonia in your right lung. Right. Here's a couple of shots, Bye. some IVs. Yes. Here's some pills. Bye. Come visit. You don't your get primer. in the hospital unless there's three or four things wrong with you. That's true. Yeah. So. Um, you know, obviously, we go in and talk to her and see how she's feeling. Um, I so when you when you first see a patient, there's a lot of questions. If they're able to share and want to share, there's a lot of questions we have to ask them on history, how well they take care of themselves, how controlled is their diabetes. But then we worry about renal function with um, medication, and then the fact that she's bipolar. Is she taking her medication? That's the first question we ask all of our patients. Do you take your medication? Because if they don't, then we have a whole different pathway we go down. Um, I had one lady, I asked one lady, uh, one patient I had, do you take any extracurricular drugs? And she said, no, I just have meth in my coffee every morning. That's it. And Or she said, no, and but meth didn't count. That was just in her coffee and every morning just takes a sip. And so that to her, that was not an extracurricular drug. That was just her morning routine. So you have to ask a lot of questions about that, about their history and very specific questions and and take a really good history and then you formulate a treatment plan based on their answers what you see on the labs what you see on diagnostics and again that's why it's challenging and that's why it's exciting <laughs> it, <laughs> meth uh, use is very high here in um in our yes. unfortunately meth is very high in our, in our i'm city. shocked how much methamphetamines <clears throat> and fentanyl have yeah. taken over the community and that's yeah. a whole other show um yes it but really it's, is it's really um disturbing mm -hmm. um, I That's also was looking at the med surge list yesterday and there's what 25 people in the on med surge or mm -hmm. something like yes. that uh -huh. I think every patient except for two are over the age of 70 or 75 mm -hmm. that it isn't just the people I just described tell me about the 82 year old man who has dementia who's mm -hmm. up cooking uh, on the stove at 3 a.m. his mm -hmm. wife is 
out of her mind because of trying to care for you know her husband at home at 82 who's had a, a small stroke from his undiagnosed atrial fibrillation mm-hmm. and is combative in the in the room yeah so you really you it's very challenging with those patients because uh, when they come in, a lot of patients come in just with confusion. Their family will drop them off. They're confused, altered level of consciousness. We don't know what's wrong with them. So it becomes a real investigation on a lot of tests run on why they are confused. And um, the dementia is very prevalent now. And um, and so, you know, we have to not only treat treat the patient, but then treat the family. And where's that patient going to go? Um, it, are they too much now for the family? There's a true thing called caregiver burnout too that I, I've seen so much. And um, our job also is to pr- protect that family too. And that's where case management comes in and comes right alongside the nurse practitioner or the doctor and create and formulate a, a plan to get them to a facility or wherever they need to go. So um, yes, and then you need to treat the medical problem, which the atrial fibrillation, what medications are they on or do they need to be on to control that rate? And um, because you're at risk for blood clot, um, other other things if you have um, untreated AFib too, as you well know. <laughs> you see that a lot in the ER, used to, I'm sure. Yes. So <laughs> in closing, I hope that you appreciate Shannon Todd, FNP hospitalist, because I don't think people really have any clue as to, A, the amount of training you've had, and B, the complexity of the patients that you see on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. This isn't some bad day versus some other day. Every day is a challenge as a hospitalist. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to tell them? It's good for their health? (laughs) Um, I would just say, you know, as you go on your daily life, um, take care of yourself. You are your own advocate for yourself. And so get your screenings done, um, eat healthy, exercise, enjoy your, take care of your mental health. And we will be here if you need us. We have a great resource at our hospital and our community of, of doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs. We're all here to support you. And remember, prevention, prevention, mm-hmm. prevention. Prevention is key. You know. Yeah, it seems like prevention is a very cost-effective thing to do, mm-hmm. considering not just you know for the quality of life, but also, man, it's expensive to get that sick. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Keep in shape. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you to you both. Thank you, thank you to You're everybody welcome. who called in, and thanks again, everybody. Have a great day. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.